OTB Sports Golf Weekly with Now TV. Stream live football action with a Now TV Sky Sports Pass. Your sport on your terms. I'm a very confident front runner. I've carried for 33 years, 145 wins now, and that's the best win I've ever had. I have no idea what you have. I don't know. I'm, how are we going to count all the shots? You, I, I can't keep track. I don't think he's pleased. Of course you would. That's a, that's a particularly stupid question. It's the Irish Open. Of course you want to play at the weekend. Now you're welcome along. The 2020 Masters has come to a finale. Dustin Johnson, doubted by some, never by me, has triumphed. At Augusta, 20 under, phenomenal wire-to-wire -wire performance. We have much to discuss. Fionn Davenport, good afternoon. Hello to you. Hey, Joe. Nathan Murphy, hello. Hey, Joe. And Peter Lowry with us as well. Peter, hello. Hello, Joe. Eagle Eye viewers may notice Peter's in a car, podcast listeners. He's uh, parked outside uh, his son's school, I think, and there may be some cars going by, but we want Peter on the pod, so we said that's fine by us. <laughs> okay. Apologies. That's all right. That's all right. So we've got lots of good stuff coming up. Claude Harmon is going to join us. I mean, man of the hour, Dustin Johnson, his coach. He was there on the 18th. I'm sure you saw him. He's been there for a long time. So Claude Harmon's going to join us maybe in about 20 minutes or so. So if you have any questions for him, we are live on YouTube. You can fire them in and we'll try and put a few to uh, Claude. You are, as ever, watching OTB Sports Golf Weekly with thanks to our friends at Now TV, where you can continue to stream lots of great sport. There is football action with a Now TV Sky Sports Pass. You can watch Serie A, Premier League, EFL Championships, and so on. Nathan Murphy, it was a rather boring finale by the standards we've come to expect at Augusta. However, there are lots of talking points from this uh, version of the Masters. Mm. Strange Masters, a good tournament with a great champion who deserves plenty of talk about his play and his brilliance over the last decade. But also just along the way, over the three days, if you go through the individuals involved, the players we thought would be the storylines all actually did provide something, whether it's Bryson DeChambeau on Thursday, McElroy across the weekend, John Ram. Let's never forget John Ram topping it. Let's never forget that. <laughs> Dear God, how did that happen? So, yeah, it, it never caught fire on the Sunday. You were just waiting and waiting and always with the sense that Dustin Johnson is just at a level right now that he's not going to let this go. Okay, you can go back through the half a dozen majors that he's probably thrown away and think something can always go horribly wrong. And listen, you go to 12, something, as we saw with Tiger, can go badly wrong. But he just looked in complete control. And it was up there as good as a major performance as we've seen in recent times. So, Peter, a great major performance by Johnson, not necessarily a great Masters. I actually quite enjoyed it, to be fair. I wouldn't have said it wasn't a great Masters. It probably didn't have as much... Um, hype in the end coming up the last couple of holes but um, look yeah there was a chance on Sunday where he had a chance to lose it where I think him got within a shot or but then he pulled away again he seemed to have a set another gear um, and look he played particularly well but uh, as Nathan says there was always a chance that something could go wrong but just didn't and he just pulled away but it, it was a Masters that I quite enjoyed and his tears, Fionn, still waters run deep. We have never seen anything remotely close to what we saw from Christian Johnson with Amanda Balionis. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. So, I mean, and we'll get into the weeds about 
the numbers that were just remarkable um, of Johnson's performance. But like, so there's a bit of cognitive dissonance because on the one hand, his win is reassuring because you want, it's the best player in the world, rewarded with the ultimate prize. And as golf fans, it kind of reaffirms things for us because we can bask in the glow of the champion. And in so doing, you kind of, it's like you feel a bit of that greatness rubbing off on you because, well, you know, I'm a DJ fan and I'm I'm a fan of the champion. Therefore, his win somehow reflects on positively on me. But then, and until that Balionis interview, the problem with that is that Johnson's entire career has been defined by periods of brilliant play and a complete and utter lack of charisma. And so that lack of charisma, that kind of cipher that he's always been and, you know, and the sense of like, you know, it, it, like his, his, his shallowness when analyzing his own game, I put it pretty good. You know, it's like he never gave you anything. And then all of a sudden on the green, Amanda Balionis asks him a question and you realize that still waters actually run very, very, very deep. And when you get revealed is the extent to which this really means something to him and the toll of searching for it has taken on him. And in so doing, we love him, you know, because that's it, that it's the, it's, it's the superstar made human. It's, it's, and it's not just about watching him cry. It's just about watching him emote, do anything. And, and he reminded me a bit, a lot actually of David Duval, who until he won the open in 2001, he was Robocop behind the sunglasses. You never got a sense of him. Like you just got this ice coldness. And then on the green, again, he bursts into tears. He reveals just the depths to which the effort that he's made to get to this point. And the only the only pity about it is, is that I couldn't enjoy. I mean, I did. Of course, I enjoyed. I enjoyed his play. He was amazing. It was just amazing. But the whole time, I'm I'm thinking they're watching, going. Yeah, he's amazing. He totally deserves this. It reaffirms everything we think about his brilliance. But at the same time, it all kind of leaves me cold. And then after the Balionis interview, I'm like looking retrospectively back and I'm enjoying it all the more. You know, I think, okay, now now I get Dustin Johnson. I see, I see who he is. And, and, and it was all the better for it. Yeah, I'd be in that camp as well. It's totally changed how I see him. Mm. I must say, I'll mm. be rooting for him a whole lot more now. So, I mean, look, he was 0 for 54 whole leads, 0 for 4 with 54 whole leads. We all know the uh, various fall points along the way, be it Chambers Bay, be it Whistling Straits, be it all the way back to Royal St. George's to a lesser extent, Pebble, obviously, in 2010, US Open with Brooks Kepka, you know, to a lesser extent, the US PGA this year on the 11th hole or Beth Page when he flew the green when Kepka won. So his strategy was just really good. I mean, even you think to small things like the way on 13, when he had a mud ball, he absolutely had the discipline to just lay up and not take that shot on, not give anybody a peek. And when the wobble came, he had played so brilliantly, 65, 70. The 65 on the Saturday felt like the tournament was over. Mm. On Saturday, there was a degree to which I thought, well, tomorrow was a little bit of a write-off. That was how I felt. It's very hard to play as well the next day. And he ultimately came out with a 68. But his front nine, when the wobble came on, it was so impressive, the extent to which he didn't let that affect him. He really saved par beautifully on a couple of occasions. So you had the nerve, you had the strategy, the thinking on the course. We've known about his wedge play for a number of years now. He has turned himself into a really good putter, maybe not a natural one, but the way, you know, he 
has a little drill with the right arm and it's meticulous and he has turned himself into a very, very fine putter. It's rare number one player in the world. Uh, wins at Augusta, you know, with all that pressure. Tiger is the last person to do it. And before that, you're going back to Freddie Couples in Woosnam territory. That's how rare mm, it is. That's right. So you throw out all that together, Nathan, and aged 36, the really interesting question now is, are we looking at this guy getting to three or to four, which feels far more appropriate for his talent levels? I mean, I threw it out on Twitter. It was about 1,500 votes. Like a lot of people said six or more, which I think is totally unrealistic. I think two is more likely than six. I think two is more likely than six. And we talk about Rory and the conversation you had with Gary Murphy and Gary's feeling he can still get to eight or nine. Not all these players can win all these majors all the time. And yeah, Dustin has the talent without question to get to five or six. And maybe he does go on a Kepka-style streak now over the next couple of years where he gets the majors he deserves. Like that is the one thing you would say with Dustin Johnson his major record has been an underachievement in comparison to his brilliance in the regular events. So you look at golf over the last 10 years, it's been dominated basically by three players, by Rory consistently, who most would agree for the last decade as the standout player, and by Kepka and Speed, who had runs. Dustin Johnson's been the best player, though, week in, week out, you would say, on the PGA Tour. When it comes to the regular events, World Golf Championships, he's always been brilliant. He just hasn't the majors to show for it. So you look, there's no flaw. Like, I, I don't know, Peter, like, are you looking at his game? Can you pick one flaw in his game right now? Because he seems to have absolutely everything. He had the driving. Like, it was watching the tracker on Saturday and Sunday, it was just bang, 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 bang off the tee. His iron play and his wedge play over the last three or four years is just utterly transformed. It's inch perfect. And he's become, with the assistance of his brother, a brilliant putter. So where, like, is there a flaw, Peter? Is there any weakness in his game right now? To be honest with you, I don't see a weakness at all. He, I thought on Sunday with his chip shot into the bunker, I said, oh, here we go. Mm. You know, this is, this is where it's going to happen. This is where he explodes. And he came out with one of the most brilliant bunker shots um, because it wasn't an easy bunker shot to hit it stone dead, to make a five, to move off without losing, you know, too many shots. So I, I totally agree with you. I, there's no flaw in his game. Um, his, his only flaw now will be his desire to win tournaments and, you know, to play in tournaments. Um, but he, he, he was like, he was, if you, if you thought um, him was robotic in the way he played the game, um, Dustin Johnson was somewhat, somewhat similar. He didn't miss a shot off the tee. He didn't miss a shot, second shot. His his um, approach play was second to none. He hit it in as close as anybody all week. So really, I didn't see a flaw and I don't see a flaw in this game. You're not going to be uh, with us for too much longer. We'll have a bit more room to talk Rory after Claude's been on with us. So give us your view on Rory McIlroy's week. 75, 66, 67, 69. I mean... To catch DJ, he's nine short of DJ. He would still have had to shoot a very impressive 66 on the first day, for instance, as opposed to the 75 to catch DJ. So look, that was a serious pace set by Johnson. But McElroy's week, tied fifth. You know, I, I, I've been giving this a lot of thought over the last, because I knew this was going to come up today. And we could turn around and say, look, we're really, really disappointed and Rory is this. And then I try and put him to, I try and look at other golfers as well. And how, how does this relate to other golfers? And to me, it's like relating to a, a, a professional who is trying to make his way out on tour. And he'll always mess up on the Thursday. He'll storm back on the Friday 
to nearly just make the cut and have an average weekend or have a decent enough weekend. The only problem with Rory McIlroy that I see, and it's got nothing to do with his caddy, to be honest with you, I, I probably harped on before about having Harry Diamond on the bag, off the bag. It really has nothing to do with it. It's got to do with Rory McIlroy, the man who he looks in the mirror and who stares right back at him. I was trying to equate something that Rory's going through to my own career. And in when I lost my card in 2014, I, I went to the ends of the earth to try and find the secret sauce to get myself back there. And in the end, it, there was no secret sauce. It was Peter Laurie. And the only way Rory's going to get over this hiatus on a Thursday in a major is finding some way that he can, in himself, set himself a goal on a Thursday to shoot three under par or two under par, whatever it may be. But to be 28 over par in the first rounds of all the majors that he's played in is just shocking. Shocking for a standard that he's at. So that has nothing to do with his caddy. That's got nothing to do with his coach. That's got to do with Rory McIlroy. We saw before he went to the Masters that he couldn't get back to see uh, his own coach. Um, Michael Bannon. Bannon, yeah. Uh, so he went to Butch and he saw Butch for a couple of hours. But there's nothing wrong with his game. There's nothing wrong with his swing. It has to be a mental thing. And I think we've been saying this for quite some time now. And he proves the fact. When he's out of the tournament, when he nearly plays himself out of the tournament, he plays his best golf. And then when he sees the finish line, it's like it's like he turns off, somebody turns off the switch on him. And then he re-comes again. Like, he, he did still have a chance after shooting the score that he did to finish, to win. He still had a chance. But he just, he puts himself in these situations where it's virtually impossible. And then he starts playing well again. The disaster that we saw at the British Open, at the Open, should I say, in Portrush, was particularly good kick up the arse that he needed, I think. Um, after that, he played fantastic golf. And I think this is going to be the same thing. He's going to have to look at Rory McIlroy inside and, and bring that player out onto the golf course every time he tees it up. And the only way he's going to find that is through himself. There's two things, though, worth considering, and I know we'll, we'll talk more deeply about it. He is 28 over combined in the opening round at majors, but ironically, Augusta has served him better than the three other majors because in the last six starts at Augusta, he is a combined two under. So his opening day performances at Augusta over the last six years haven't been all that bad in as much as they reflect better than, than the opening days. I mean, Peter's broader point absolutely remains true. He, he shoots himself out of a tournament and then with the pressure off just turns out some brilliant performances over, the, over days two through four. Yeah, I think for opening day, we can also use the word pressure. You know, that's what we're talking about here. So for instance, his opening day, I suspect without looking back in 2018, when he's in the final round with Patrick Reed, is probably pretty decent. But look what he did in the front line with Reed, yeah. on the front line with Reed in 2018. So I think the opening day is definitely a factor. But for opening day, we're talking 
being in the tournament. You know, that, yes. that pressure. That you, you know, you probably feel more so, and, and Peter can maybe speak of this more, but you probably feel more so at the beginning of a tournament when, you know, ooh, those opening day nerves and wanting to get off to a good start, as opposed to Friday, Saturday, when you're a bit more in the swing of things. And those nerves really come back, I suspect, again, in a big way on Sunday. So I think, you know, the, the opening day number we can fixate on, I think if we're looking for, for trends, we're, we're, we're talking pressure, be that a Sunday or uh, opening day. And then the second point I wanted to make was this, is that, I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to absolutely defer to Peter's greater knowledge of the golf swing, you know. So even allowing for the, for the fact that there is nothing fundamentally wrong with Rory's golf swing, of the 60 players who made the cut, he ranked last in strokes gained approach. Now, that is an all too familiar statistic with Rory McIlroy's play. So there mightn't be something mechanical with the swing, but he is not getting the ball on the green nearly with the same frequency as he should. Here's a question and, I want to I I throw to you on that point. And I was thinking about this the other day because I've, I've done a list of things I think are the issue with uh, Rory's game. And I do think, by the way, he's going to win a green jacket over the next 10 years. And when, we're, when Claude Harmon's off, we can maybe tease that out a bit more. But one of the issues within other issues is what's his go-to swing when he's under pressure? That's both a technical question and I think in his part, uh, an acknowledgement that he's really going to feel pressure because I think he talks a really good game about perspective and golf in perspective and how, you know, he goes home and it's family and that's all more important. I think that's true for all the golfers. There's nothing unique in that. And I think he needs to sit a bit more with the fact he's really going to feel pressure. So when he's feeling that pressure, you know, and your family and your perspective is, 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 can only take you so far, what's his go-to, I feel like crap, swing? I know what Tiger's is. I know what Brooks will do. I know what Brooks will do. Yeah. I don't know. What's what's Rory's go-to pressure swing, Peter, when he's feeling horrible? I don't think horrible? he has one. Correct. I don't think he has one. Yeah, he doesn't. He don't, but natural natural players wouldn't have one. But he needs to develop that, I would put to you, and, and, and acknowledge there is a an issue with how well he plays under pressure. When he's but freewheeling, that, when he's freewheeling, there's nobody that, better in the but world. But that's changing his natural ability to play the game. Explain he, that he, to me. He... he, he it's like anybody hitting a ball, hitting a tennis ball, whatever. You have a natural ability, okay? And he relies on that. He doesn't think about mm. the way I the way I look at his golf game. I don't think Rory looks at um, what position the club is in, or now I could be totally wrong because I don't know what his backroom staff are telling him. But I, I don't think he has a another method like you're talking about, like Tiger does, like Brooks does. I, I would go back to the, the Dustin Johnson. When he was coached with, by Butch Harmon, he drew the ball, right? He drew everything. I remember watching him a good few times. He'd come over to Europe. You'd watch him on the range. It would be a kind of, it wouldn't be a sling hook, but it'd be a decent style hook. Um, when he went to Butch, he, he developed a fade. He said, Cheekers, this is easy to play with. I'd play with it. And we saw in the Masters that he didn't try and draw anything. He faded everything. He was, his natural shot was a fade and he just stuck to a fade. Montgomery won nine order of merits fading the ball. So Rory, I don't think, has to have a go-to swing because he doesn't have two, two different types of swings. He doesn't have two different types of shots. Okay. 
Uh, we'll pick that up again with you sometime. We are saying goodbye to you. Any final thoughts you want to give us on anything else that you were bursting to say about the week that no, was? No, I, I, I was, first of all, I, I, I was amazed at his comments that he would lose 10 to 12 pounds mm. during the Masters. That shows that it's eating him inside. So he has to deal with that in some shape or form. He needs to slow everything down inside because you should not lose that amount of weight playing in a golf tournament, no matter how hilly it is. Um, the other one was, I, I was amazed. Uh, no, sorry. I, I, well, I was amazed at Langer and the older guys playing well at Augusta. Mm. The only reason they did was, was because the golf course was so soft. Mm. They could, they were able to hit shots into greens with longer clubs and the ball would stop. Yeah. If it was a normal Masters, they'd have no chance because they couldn't stop the ball going into greens with three irons and four irons and woods and all the rest. Um, so I think that just played into the hands of the older guy to play halfway decent. Mm. Um, okay. Well, we'll talk more Masters next week, I suspect, with you. There's so many yeah. things we won't get to today. So Peter Laurie will say goodbye to you. We'll talk next week and we'll okay. get... More Thanks, lads. Sorry you have week. to go, but no with family. No so, problem, no. Peter. Apologies. Not at all. Not at all. Thanks at again. All. So we'll be joined by Claude Harmon in just a moment, which is great. It's really exciting to have him on. Nathan Murphy got the phone out, did the doggy work, and Oof. got the big name. Nice one. Uh, that's what I just do around here. Who do you want next week? You just let me know. Well, what are your thoughts on what we just said on Rory there? Because there was a f there were a few tweets in, and I'm always conscious as well, saying... Uh, don't be too harsh on Rory. Like in fairness, we're you know we're, we're 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 so focused on him. Like we're not banging the table saying why hasn't Shane Lowry done better? Because we all know golf is so tough. Like we shouldn't have to say at the start of every podcast we're judging Rory on the way Rory judges himself. Because it's funny we did have this conversation over the weekend of almost feeling where we a bit soft on Rory at times. Yet mm. all I hear from people who listen to the pod is. Geez, he can be really harsh on Rory. Geez, when I hear Paul McKinley, he can be very harsh on Rory. Right. He's give him a break. Which I, I like, listen, Rory McIlroy has done more than 99.99% of people could ever imagine. If he retires now, what a career. But Rory himself, if you were to say to him 10 years ago, you're not going to win more majors than any other European, I suspect he'd be pretty disappointed with that. So that's how we judge him. Hmm. And he's Irish, so we talk about him far more, which is something else we touched on of looking at some of the American coverage. They're not quite as fascinated about him still as we are. They are talking Brooks, Justin Thomas, DeChambeau, yeah. and obviously Dustin Johnson. Well, speaking of Dustin Johnson, it's great to say we have Claude Harmon with us. Claude, can you hear us okay? I can hear you. <clears throat> hey, congratulations. Nice couple of days. Yeah, it was, uh, it was fun. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it, it was. I mean, it was fun. <laughs> I'll bet it was. It looked uh, from the outside like this was a very smooth week for Dustin Johnson. I, I don't suspect there was any great remedial work needed on the range after any of the rounds. Um, you know, DJ doesn't hit a ton of balls um, after rounds, uh, whether he plays good or plays bad. Um, he's he's normally pretty kind of confident about what is. He has to play really, really bad to, to, to hit a lot of balls, which we did in uh, Houston the week before Augusta. He wasn't you know, he hadn't played since the U.S. Open, so he was really, really rusty. And uh, so we hit, you know, a lot of balls on Thursday in Houston, Friday in Houston, Saturday in Houston. Um, and then last week it was, you know, pretty much his normal kind of major 
kind of set up, you know, just, uh, you know, working out in the mornings and getting some practice. And they played, I think he played most of his practice rounds with Rory last week. And um, yeah, he was, I'd have, I mean, guys, I'd been, I would have been really surprised if he didn't have a chance to win last week. Um, you know, it's very difficult to say that, but just the form that he's been on really since the PGA, if you look at his record, um, you know, it's, it's, it's just been, you know, very much like what Tiger used to do. He's either finishing first, second, or in the top 10 in every tournament he's played in really since Harding Park. Claude, um, DJ strikes me as someone who's pretty confident going into whatever tournament he's going into, all things being equal. But was there anything particularly before last week that suggested, you know what, this could be a special week? I think the way he's played, as I mentioned, uh, just the way he's played since the, the PGA, winning the FedEx Cup. I mean, the FedEx was really, really a big milestone and a big goal of DJs. He'd been close to winning the FedEx before. Um, you know, I, I know a lot of people kind of discount the FedEx, but for DJ, I think he kind of sees that as a career definer. I think if you look at the guys that have won that, um, you know, Tiger, Rory, Justin Rose, Justin Thomas, you know, some of the big guns. Um, I think it was something that he really wanted to do. Uh, so uh, the confidence that that gives you because, um, you know, the week uh, he had in Atlanta, I mean, it was difficult. Um, you know, he had to kind of fight through, especially on Sunday in Atlanta. I think the, the round that he had uh, Sunday at the Tour Championship in Atlanta, um, that round will, will be something that, that kind of changes, um, you know, his, not so much his career, but just kind of changes this next phase because it was a tough day. Um, and, you know, DJ has, you know, in the past, struggled when you know he's had opportunities to close out big golf tournaments you know 54 hole leads and majors so um he he's always an incredibly confident person um but yeah i think getting the monkey off his back you wouldn't normally say that for someone that's won their second major championship but i think the question now and i think the great thing for for me is dj's never gonna have to ask answer these questions anymore. Mm. Why can't you close in a major with a 54 hole lead? Um, you know, to have two major championships is, is amazing. I think if you, for DJ winning a U.S. open was huge. I mean, obviously being an American, you want to win, you know, the U.S. open, but I think every golfer wants to be a master's champion. And i and I think DJ has always, always wanted that. Um, he loves that golf course. Um, even though, you know, it, it, predominantly is known as some uh, a golf course we have to f draw it but he just loves it he loves everything about it he loves the club he loves the history he loves the tradition and uh you know if you're a golfer and you could win your first master's championship to have tiger woods put the jacket on you is you know i mean that's you, you couldn't you could never dream of of something like that happening so it, it was pretty cool does the um, his little wobble on Sunday, bogeying four and five, Sung Jae-in comes within a shot, but then to stitch that eight iron, I think it was, onto the top tier of the sixth and then close it out for birdie, Sung Jae-in makes, makes bogey. That, to me, that struck me as the sign of supreme confidence under the most extraordinary amount of pressure. Well, the interesting thing about that, guys, is is he said that um, afterwards when we were talking on the plane home, he didn't really get down on himself for what happened at four and five. He said, listen, I hit a good shot. You know, it's 200 and I think he had 240, you know, downhill. So he hit, 
a four iron. He said it just came up a little bit short. He said the putt was a little bit slower on four up the hill than he thought. And then he had a probably a five, six footer for par on, on four, which he thought he hit a good putt and it just missed. And then he said he had a good drive on five. He normally takes it at that left bunker and just cuts it off the left bunker. And he said it just stayed straight and kind of kicked into the bunker. He did the smart thing. The only shot he really had was to lay up. And then he said he hit a really good nine iron to that back location where the pin was on five. And then again, said he hit another really good putt. So walking to the six tee, he said he was saying to himself, listen, I haven't hit any really bad shots. I haven't hit one in the trees, haven't hit one in the water, haven't hit one out of bounds. I haven't really done anything wrong. I've just made two bogeys in a row. So I think it's a, it's a unique kind of insight into the way that DJ thinks. He's not going to beat himself up for things that, that happen. He knows that he's going to make, you know, bogeys. And he didn't make it, you know, it would be different, I think, if he had made a double in that stretch because then it looks like the wheels are going to come off. But he knew everybody is going to make a bogey at some point during the day. And, you know, to stand up and hit, you know, a really, really good iron shot on six, um, you know, I think kind of, you know, set him up because that's the tough stretch at Augusta, you know, on the front nine, four, five, and six. You know you have to get off to a good start try and make birdie on two i mean he'd eagled two two of the three days so to make par there you know he's like come on man and then he <laughs> makes birdie on then he makes birdie on three and then two bogeys but i think he knew once he got through that stretch he's going to have opportunities you know specifically at eight and then uh you know get to the back nine Oh, you mentioned the near misses and there's probably half a dozen over the last decade where Dustin has put himself in contention and just not got the job done. Like four and five is a little wobble and quite often little wobbles in major championships can become big wobbles. Why didn't it? Have you seen, like, was there scar tissue there that you've had to work on mentally that when those little wobbles happen that they don't become a bigger thing that, as you say, he wasn't affected at all by it, it seems. I think that, you know, if you look at when DJ won his first major championship in 2016, um, you know, when I look at DJ as the player then versus the player now, uh, to me, I mean, he's just become a complete player. In 16, he was kind of known for, you know, the driver hitting the golf ball a long way. But now I think if you look at DJ's game, I mean, he's an unbelievable driver of the golf ball. He has great length. Um, if you look at how he drove the golf ball last week, now that he's able to just, you know, you know, hit it and play off the tee. I mean, DJ pretty much throughout the entire FedEx has basically hit his driver, kind of had one look and gone and picked the tee up. And he's normally given AJ the driver before the ball's even landed. So he's a great driver. His iron game last week, I mean, he hit 60 greens. Mm. Um, you know, his wedge game, everybody knows he's improved that. His short game's gotten a lot better. I thought the, 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 the chip shot that he hit at, at uh, 11, you know, was yeah. a great shot. And then he's really become a good putter. So if you look at where he is today as a player um, versus where he was in 16, I think he's matured a lot. And, you know, I think guys, other than maybe Jack and Tiger, he's got the greatest golf mind in the game and maybe in the game's history. He just has this ability to not have any sort of, you know, rear view mirror. He just doesn't seem to let this stuff bother him um 
he's made mistakes, obviously, in, 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 in tournaments and major championships when he's had to win. He's had some crazy stuff happen to him, and he's done some crazy stuff to himself. But, um, you know, I've been saying this for years. If you could design a golfer, you would design Dustin Johnson. First of all, I mean, he's a freak athlete. He can do things other people can't. Very similar to what Tiger was like when Tiger was in his heyday. Very similar to what Rory's like with some of the things that he can do. And then you would design the mind. I think everybody that doesn't know DJ thinks he's kind of, you know, not bright and aloof and doesn't really care. And none of that's really actually true. Um, you know, but if you look at how he handles himself on the golf course, um, you know, he is the living embodiment of what every sports psychologist, Bob Rotella, all the guys tell you, play one shot at a time. The only thing you can control is the shot you're hitting right now. And he does a great job of that. And he does a great job, guys, at all of these failures he has. They don't bother him. He just mm. keeps putting himself in positions. Um, I said on Sunday after the round, if if we would have told everybody on the, the night of Chambers Bay after he three putts the 18th hole that he would win all the tournaments that he was going to win in the next five years, that he was going to win the FedEx and do all the stuff. Everybody would say, you know, I just, I just don't believe it. You know, the scar tissue is too big. And he has this unique ability to just say, listen, like he'll play golf rounds guys and he'll play bad. He'll shoot over par, you know, 73, 74, and he'll come off the golf course and I'll see him in scoring and I'll say, you know, you want to hit some balls? And he'll go, no, man, you know, I didn't really hit it that bad today. I made one bad swing on five and hit it in the water and made double. But, you know, I really didn't hit, hit that. AJ, his brother's looking at me going, whispering, going, dude, it was so bad. So bad today. <laughs> but, in, but in DJ's mind, he's like, he never thinks he's lost it. He never has this panic mode that I think a lot of golfers – have when they play bad you know they, they he go he says no listen man i didn't really play that bad today when you can see the stats said he didn't play good that he hit some loose shots but in his mind and then he always says the same thing he said bro we'll go to the range tomorrow i'll be fine i know what i need to do and, and i'll play good tomorrow and, is it a um, touch of that old jack nicholas thing of like when he was asked about three putting a green he goes i've never three putted ever yeah it is very much i think like that and um you know I think you're starting to see now that if you look at the way that Rory is talking about DJ and kind of the mental focus that he has and the game that he has, I mean, they play a lot of practice rounds together. And, you know, I think that um, he's now at a stage of his career now with winning the FedEx this year. Um, I mean, Justin Thomas put his arm around me as we were walking up from scoring at the, the tour championship. And he said, I played with your boy DJ when he missed the cut in um, at Memorial. And what did he shoot, like 80, 80? And he mm. said, he tried on every single shot. 80, 80 is the best it could have been, and he wins the FedEx. I mean, he looked like a, a, he looked like a 90 shooter in, 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 um, at Memorial. He just – he was out of sorts. His golf swing just wasn't in, in, in where he wanted it to be, his body. And then to come back from that, and and do what he's done is just you know it's a testament to who he is as a player so claude for instance chambers bay and those terrible greens notwithstanding 
would you guys unpack the psychology of what happened on that 18th green? Because the way you're talking there, it sounds like he has almost a natural instinct to do the correct thing from a, a golfing. As, you know, I don't suspect he's read Bob Rotella all that deeply. It sounds like it's a, it's a natural instinct, and that's how he approaches the game. But you know, he's been close so many times, and his talent uh, merited more majors for a long time. Would you sit down and go, "What's happening, DJ? Are you feeling, you know, that 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 three? Are you nervous? What's going on? No, none of that." He always kind of believes that he's going to have opportunities to win golf tournaments. Obviously, with his talent and you know the type of golf that he plays, he knows that his talent level is going to give him opportunities to win basically every week. Yeah. And so I think the philosophy that he has is if I continue to give myself chances every single week on Sunday, sooner or later, somebody else is going to three putt the last hole and I'm going to win. Or, you know, I can just hang around and shoot, you know, kind of a, a decent score. He, he, he has this ability to just kind of said, he has never said anything to me about what's happened at Chambers Bay ever. Wow. The only time he ever mentioned it is after Chambers Bay three putted. And it's two things. The only time I've ever seen him get mad. And the only time he's ever said anything to me about that is that week at Chambers Bay, the greens were horrendous. I mean, it was like, you know, a goat track. I mean, everybody was talking about it. And he was the only guy all week that never complained about the greens and guys would be coming up in practice rounds or after, you know, the first round or the second round and go, going, dude, how bad were the greens out there? And, and, and DJ kept saying, yeah, man, they're not that bad. I mean, yeah, you get some bad putts, but, and mm. his, and he kept saying to, you know, my dad and I, he's like, listen, someone's going to win this week, regardless of how bad the greens are. They're giving out a U.S. Open trophy this week. So everybody's got to deal with this. And so his attitude that week was so unbelievably positive and we were clearing out his locker after you know he three putted and he was putting a shoe in a bag and he took the shoe and he threw it in the bag and he said you know i stayed so positive this week and you know i just i'm so pissed off because i stayed so positive because these greens were so bad this week <laughs> and then we go to the house and you know i had to drop his agent off and he's loading up all of the luggage for him and his entire family and the gretzky's because they were going on vacation and wayne gretzky said dj you don't need to load the bags up and he said, no, that's what I deserve after three putting the last green. So we're putting, we're putting the bags in the car. And the only thing he said, and this will give you a great insight into how he, how he thinks. He said to me, he looked at me and he said, I played so good today. I played so good today. He said, next time I'll get a bigger lead. So I don't have to worry about if I make mistakes. His mindset was, I played so good today, not I three-putted yes, the last yes. hole, not I could have done this or could have done that. He said, I played so good today. And okay. I think that he is that same player. Sunday was most certainly the first time we all saw DJ cry. How often <laughs> have you seen him cry? <laughs> you know, I was standing right behind the green with Bubba Watson and Bubba said, um, hey, man, you think he's going to tear up? And I, and I said, um, well, if he ever is, it would be here. I said, you know, AJ's gonna gonna cry, and Bubba goes, oh yeah, you know, AJ's gonna cry. <laughs> so um, we, you know, we went to the putting green afterwards, the practice putting green, and you know, Tiger gave him the green jacket, and then Tiger came over and was standing with AJ and I, and you know, Amanda Balionis of CBS is doing the interview, and you know, he's he can't even get through the interview, and and Tiger just kind of whispered to me, the green jacket will do that to you, I think. It was a culmination of a lot of things, uh, of some of the failures he's had, of, you know, growing up not far away from there. 
Um, I asked him in one of the practice rounds if he'd ever played there before because he grew up only an hour away and went to college in South Carolina. And he said he never played before um, he played in the tournament. And he said he promised himself he'd had some offers, but he said, I made a promise to myself that I would never play Augusta National until I was in the tournament. So I think it was just this, you know, realization of, you know, all of the work that he's put in and, you know, it is kind of the mountain that you want to climb as a professional golfer. I think the history at Augusta guys, I don't know if you guys have been there. It's, it's iconic. It's one golf course. They play it every year. You can judge yourself based off of everybody that's been there, the green jacket, the champions locker room, to know that for the rest of your life, every time you go back to Augusta National as a player, you're going to be walking around there with a green jacket on. I think it's just, it, it means tremendous. It's like, it's the, the golfing equivalent of Wimbledon. If you look at the emotion sure. that tennis players have when they win uh, a Wimbledon versus a US Open or Australian Open or French Open, it, it is, it's, it's, to me, it's the pinnacle of, of the game. Claude, ever since he was in college, it was known that Johnson had a preternatural talent. He was going to be a great golfer no matter what. What is the measure of his own greatness for himself in terms of, like, you know, he's the future son-in-law of the greatest ice hockey player of all time. Like, it's not like, you know, he's hanging around with, like, some of the greatest athletes ever to perform in their sport. So do you have a sense what is DJ's own measure of what greatness is for him? Like, is it, is it multiple masters? Is it, is there a number of majors that he feels he should be getting to, to, to really be considered a great? Well, I think he said earlier um, this year in an interview that he felt like he could have won more tournaments than he's won. He felt like he should have won more majors than he did. But then he also says the same thing that, that again, it's very DJ, it's very simplistic, but it's true. He says, listen, obviously I'd love to win more majors, but it's hard to win major championships. There's, there's only four of them every year. There's a tremendous amount of good players. Um, I think that he believes that, you know, he believes every single day that his best golf is ahead of him. Um, they asked him at the tour championship, you know, do you expect to win? And he said, no matter how I'm playing, I always think I'm playing good. Again, another great DJ quote, no matter how I'm playing, I always think I'm playing good. So I do think this could be a catalyst to see kind of a Phil Mickelson style um, run in the majors, um, you know, with, um, you know, he's in, his body's in good shape. He's incredibly, um, he's incredibly fit. He's incredibly flexible. He doesn't tend to, to have a ton of injuries. Um, and I think now that he has a green jacket, I think the confidence for that will, will be tremendous. And I think he believes he can win, you know, every major he plays in, for sure. Claude, your dad, Butch, was on Sky throughout the weekend, so we saw a lot of him, and he was telling some of the stories of working with DJ through the years and was talking about that time when they were trying to teach Dustin to hit a fade and how it's not really happening. And then DJ goes off to Florida, he gets a call one day, and it's, yeah, I'm sorry to hit the Fed. I'm hitting it pretty nicely. I think I'll stick with this. That process of him suddenly being able to hit the fade, is that natural talent? He spends a day on the range and it comes quite easily? Or is that him grinding and hitting thousands of balls till he perfects it? Um, I mean, that was he, – he would always basically, if he had to get a golf ball in play specifically off the tee, 
he would hit kind of what he calls a little fairway finder, which is just like a little fade out there. And when, you know, we made that kind of decision to change, um, I think in 15, uh, Mark Brody, who did the strokes gain stuff, gave me some stats at the end of 2016. And I think his curvature with his driver was one of the biggest curvatures on tour with, you know, hitting draws in 2005. And then in 2016, when he went to hitting the fade, it became much more controlled. Um, he can pretty much do anything you ask him to do. I mean, he's very talented and stuff like that. Um, and I think he just kind of bought into being able to, you know, move the golf ball from left to right. And it is a, a, a it is very, very repeatable for, for what he does. Um, he, he was experimenting guys, you know, the last month, you know, since the U S open with a, a longer driver like Bryson, uh, he's, He's been experimenting with a 47-inch driver. He had it in the bag in Houston. Um, we practiced with it. We hit it in practice rounds. He had it in the bag at Augusta. He played practice rounds with it. And, you know, he toyed with the idea of putting it in. He toyed with the idea of maybe going with two drivers, which, you know, thankfully that, that lasted about five <laughs> minutes. But the reason he didn't put the driver in play is he can get way more distance. I mean, he can carry it 340, 350 with, with the driver consistently, he can get, you know, upwards of 190 ball speed with it. But the shot that he can't hit with the 47 inch driver is that low chip cut fairway finder that he can hit 300 to 310, which he just basically is just getting it in play off the tee. So that shape is vitally important to him. And in an age where, you know, everybody's talking about Bryson and the ball going too far, driver and golf you know being in a bad place and courses and all that dj last week you know basically took the tiger approach from 2000 listen i just need to hit as many fairways as possible like get the ball in play off the tee then i can take advantage with my irons as opposed to trying to chase more distance obviously he already hits the golf ball a long way but that mentality of saying okay i'm not going to go and try and get more distance where it would be an advantage, obviously, to be closer to the green. I'm just going to make sure I hit as many fairways as possible. And I think the fade allows him to be very, very consistent. Claude, you look at older uh, shots of DJ, and he was slightly uh, pudgier, I would say. Um, he, you know, he is, he's, he's, um, he's ripped now. He's in phenomenal shape. Uh, he, you know, he had a reputation for enjoying uh, the nightlife, you, had, you know, you come in the scene and you're a millionaire and there's a lot going on and, you know, there's a lot to digest and deal with. He seems like an incredibly focused golfer the last couple of years. Uh, is our read on that correct? Has there been a, a shift and maybe what's prompted that shift? Well, I think, you know, right now he's, he and his, you know, his brother and a bunch of their friends there in St. Bart's. Um, I've got to think that DJ is doing exactly what you would do after you won the Masters and go to St. Bart's <laughs> and you, you're Paulina Gretzky's your fiance. So DJ's one of the things that he's become very regimented on is on the road when we're traveling. Um, he lives a very, very kind of regimented, boring, almost kind of Spartan type lifestyle. Um, you know, since the pandemic, he's basically stayed in houses every week. So. Most weeks, if he's on the road, um, it, it's him, it's AJ, it's Joey Diaz trainer. He's got a chef, um, Chef Mike, and then if I stay with him. So the five of us, we go from the plane to the house, to the gym, to the golf course, to the house, and that's it. We don't leave the house. We don't go out. 
Um, he doesn't drink when he's on the road. So if he's on a stretch, like when, when he shot 30 under in Boston and won, when we were flying that night to Chicago, we're all drinking on the plane. He doesn't drink. Um, he celebrates in off weeks now. He, he, he blows everything out when he has time off. Um, if he has an early tea time, um, he'll work out in the afternoon. If he has an, um, a late tea time, he'll work out in the morning. Um, he tends to, you know, when I stay in the house with him, he pretty much eats breakfast at the same time of day every day, about seven o'clock in the morning. He has the same thing for breakfast pretty much every day. He has almost the same thing for lunch every day. And Chef Mike basically recycles his favorite meals for dinner pretty much every week. We don't go out. Um, you know, it's my job or Joey D's job or AJ's job. We all take turns because we're one of us every morning has to go to Starbucks and get the Starbucks for the team to get DJ Starbucks. After every workout, we find a smoothie place and whoever lifts the least amount of weights, that's always me, has to buy the smoothies. Um, he's a big soul cycle guy on the road. If there's, if he's in town and there's a place, you know, before the pandemic, if he could go to soul cycle, he'd go, you know, soul cycle classes plus workouts and stuff like that. So he's, He's very much a kind of a creature of habit. Um, I'd say he's borderline kind of OCD and kind of the way that, you know, his clothes and stuff. He showed up last week, guys, with two different shoes on. So white shoes, you know, Adidas shoes, but one, one, one pair had gray stripes and the other one had like white stripes with black in them. And AJ said to him, yeah, bro, what's with the two shoes? I mean, what's the statement? And DJ's like, Oh, it was dark. I didn't even realize it. I just saw they were both white. He immediately <laughs> called. He immediately called Joey D, his trainer. Joey's working out. He says, "Joey, you need to bring the car back. The other shoes in there." And Joey's like, "Dude, I'm working out." And he's like, "I don't care. You got to bring the car back because <laughs> that would have that would have sent him sideways." Yeah. Whereas a guy like Brooks Kepka could be wearing a red shoe and a black shoe, and and would go, eh, "It doesn't bother me. Okay. It's no big deal." Do you think, Claude, that so Joe mentioned the tears on the 18th green and, and I, we were talking about it before you came on is to my mind, it's the first time that we, the, the golf loving audience have got a glimpse into who DJ actually is that this cipher that's accompanied him most of his career. Do you, is he aware that all of a sudden for the first time in, I don't know, what is it? 12 years or whatever it is that he has basically kind of revealed himself now to the golf world. And that, that is he conscious of that and that, that it might mark a shift in the way people perceive him? Somebody said to him um, when we were back at the house afterwards, you know, man, you were crying. I mean, what, what was with that? And he looked at me and said, bro, I just won the Masters. <laughs> <laughs> and it was funny. Um, he's, like, he's like, of course I'm going to cry. We were flying home and on the plane, Wayne Gretzky was on the plane with us flying home and his wife, Janet, and DJ's kids and everything. And Wayne and, and DJ were talking back and forth. And it was funny. Wayne said the same thing. He said, listen, I won four Stanley Cups, never cried once. And he said, I'm watching you win the Masters and I'm crying. Mm -hmm. So I think when you're, you know, when you're in that kind of vein, um, you know, DJ's a pretty cool customer and um, he's much different off the golf course than, than he is on the golf course. I mean, we see a lot more, you know, of, 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 of him being an, a, a normal person than I think you guys do. But um, sure. yeah, I think it's just, it's such a huge, huge thing to, to become. I think being a master's champion is just different. 
you know, when we walked up after, you know, after he walked and he was going into scoring, you know, Bubba Watson came down and stood next to us, you know, while DJ was putting out and he's got his green jacket on. And then he walked, DJ walked up to the, to the clubhouse and, you know, in scoring, you know, Zach Johnson's there in his green jacket. Jordan Spieth is there in his green jacket. I mean, last year when Tiger won, you know, if you, I was down there when Tiger came into scoring and you looked at all the former champions that were there because what Augusta tells the past champions is if you're on property and you're not playing, you, you wear your green jacket. So I think to be able to know in your mind that every time you go back to that place, you're going to have a green jacket. I mean, he was loading up the car. We went to the plane and we were all getting luggage out and, you know, they're putting him on the plane and he's got shorts on and a hoodie and he's got the green jacket on. And I said, I said, still got the green jacket. He said, bro, I'm not taking this thing off. I promise you that. <laughs> Do you know God, what? I, Sorry, go on, go on, Nathan. I just wanted to ask, just on the subject of emotions, Nathan talked earlier about your dad did, obviously was on Sky Sports. He was also way more emotional and nostalgic than he has been at any other time I've ever seen him. Is there, has your dad changed? Is he, like he's telling old stories and it almost like you could feel him welling up at, at remembering all the great moments he's had or observed. You know, my dad's, I think one of the reasons why my dad and DJ get along so well is, um, you know, my dad's very much an old school guy as well. He doesn't normally show a lot of emotion. You know, he's very much a type A kind of alpha male type character. Um, but, you know, when you put so much time in with players, I think um, obviously people like myself and my dad and all the instructors that work with players, I mean, you know, my dad always says that, you know, instructors get far too much credit when players are playing well and win tournaments and get far too much of the blame when they're not winning tournaments and they're not playing well. Um, my dad has spent, you know, so much of his life. He's 77 now. And, and, and people ask me all the time, you know, what, when you look at your dad, what are you most proud of? My dad has sacrificed 40 years of his life to help other people achieve their dreams. And I do the same thing. I was, you know, sitting on the 18th hole, you know, had sunglasses on and, and was crying because, you know, we spend so much time with these guys helping them. You know, you travel 20, 25 weeks a year. You know, I've got a family. I've got a daughter. I, I certainly could have been a better husband and a better father, you know, at home. But I've spent the last 20 years of my life chasing around PGA Tour players, trying to help them achieve their dreams. So I think for my dad, he's started working with DJ, you know, 10, 11, 12 years ago. And when you look at where these players come from at the beginning of their careers and look at where they are now, um, you know, it's, it's amazing to be a part of. And I think my dad is in a very kind of reflective phase of his life. And, you know, my dad's been a second father to DJ and, you know, been a father figure to, to him as he has been to, you know, Tiger Woods and Adam Scott and all the players that he's worked with. So, yeah, my dad and I had a good conversation afterwards. And, you know, it, we're just, to do what we do, you, you have to be kind of a, a giver and, you know, a problem solver and stuff like that. So to watch these guys knowing how hard they work and knowing how many hours they put in, you know, the average golf fan has no concept of what it takes 
to get to the level that that these guys are at. Um, you know, it's just it's amazing to to get there and to to see them become part of that club. You know, the Masters is is pretty cool. We were loading up the plane and the plane next to us, Adam Scott, who has his own private jet, who everybody, you know, DJ's like, man, how does Adam Scott have his own jet? So Adam was in, <laughs> Adam's on his plane. So we, we all drive up and we're getting to the airplane and they're loading up the bags and there were a bunch of people on the plane. So we're all kind of standing out there and I look over and I see Adam's, you know, plane next to us. And I said to DJ, I said, there's Adam's plane. So Adam gets on the phone and he calls Adam. So we can see Adam in the window of his jet and we're waving, we're talking and Adam's, I can hear Adam going, Hey man, welcome to the club. You know, what are you going to serve at the champions dinner next year? It's, it's those type of things that, you know, no other championship is like that. Yeah, you know, cool. Adam Scott being a master's champion, you know, everybody said, Jordan Spieth said that to, to DJ. Zach said that, Bubba said that. The first thing they say is welcome to the club. And I think that type of thing for those of us around them and part of the team, you know that it's for them, it's just, it's so cool to see. I mean, the fact that DJ's got a green jacket to me, I mean, I, I'll be honest. I mean, I was walking, I was going to get a drink on the plane. I walked down the aisle and the jacket was there and I looked at it and DJ goes, put it on, bro. <laughs> So I put it on, we took a picture. It was pretty cool, man. Mm. It's it's a really unique experience. I, it's the first time I've ever worked with a player that's won um, a Masters championship. And for my grandfather to have won there, to know that my, you know, DJ and my grandfather have their name on the same trophy, to know that my grandfather still shares a locker in the champion's locker room. He shares a locker with Tom Watson. To know that DJ is now going to be part of that, you know, for us as a family, you know, as a Harmon, um, you know, my dad's worked with Tiger. He won the Masters. He's, you know, Phil's been a Masters champion. It, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. I got to be honest with you. I'm, I'm 51, and it's, it's one of the most satisfying things that that has ever happened to me in my career, for sure. Well, listen. On that note, we've ta we've taken your time uh, for far too long, but wow, amazing, amazing, amazing! It's the coolest major to win. There's no doubt, and <laughs> you can, the joy is radiating. So um, enjoy it. Thanks so much. I mean, it's it's always great to have you on once or twice a year. So congrats. We're 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 delighted for you. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Claude. Thanks, Claude. Thanks, Claude. Claude Harmon there. After one of the great weeks in his life, as you can imagine. So. Uh, where did DJ, it all go wrong? DJ, a little OCD. I wouldn't have had that in the locker. Yeah. Actually, Nathan, what was the question you were going to ask that I jumped all over? Oh, no, it was brilliant. I was going to get the world exclusive about how much work Butch was doing with Rory ahead of the Masters and oh, what Claude's role and all that was. Yeah, like this. You know, just just would have been front page of Golf Channel for the next week. But hey, it's fine. Saws. Did you see? Um, he mentioned uh, his dad and grandfather. You heard the story Butch told. Well, he told it twice over the course of the weekend about the year before he won, he played, the, he was playing in a group with Ben Hogan and they played the 12th. Ben Hogan gets a two and they're walking over to the 13th tee and Ben Hogan turns around to Claude and goes, yeah, I've never gotten a two in that hole before. And Claude Harmon's like, okay. And, he, and Ben goes, what did you get? And he goes, I just aced the hole. And Ben Hogan goes, really? <laughs> Yeah, Butch was telling some lovely stories, actually. It was really nice. He was definitely at a reflective oh, point. But it suggests that Ben Hogan wasn't a particularly pleasant individual to play golf with. Like It does, yeah. Almost yeah, like a, does. like, what was the old adage they used to say? You want to play the loneliest round of golf? Play with Nick Faldo. <laughs> hmm. yeah. So, 
I think that's just in um, box ticked for now. We were we were chatting some Rory. Do we want to just finish off on? Yeah, Rory. Sure. Whether we're too harsh, whether we're not too harsh. So well, Gary Murphy was on the other night. If you didn't catch it, he thinks that Rory needs a new caddy. I disagreed with that. I don't know how good an argument I made, but I disagreed with him on that. That's waiting for you. You can watch that. And he thinks Rory will win eight nine majors easy. He is in no doubt that Rory will still win eight nine majors. Uh, to round off what I was saying about him, so look, I I kind of I, I was asking Gary Murphy, do you think it's, it's an, an issue with pressure? And when you pose that theory, there are so many inconsistencies in it because of what Rory has done in his career. You know, won the Tour Championship just last year has won four majors. That you're almost reticent to put it forward, but there is a trend at the majors with the first rounds, with certain Sundays. I jotted down the three or four things. I'm just trying to boil it down what he needs to do. The approach play, he was back over in 60th again with his irons at Augusta. He was third pre-lockdown. That just needs to be sorted out. That just has to be sorted out in the way Dustin Johnson has done. Uh, the pudding, I thought the pudding looked much better this week. Mm. I don't know what you guys thought. I thought it looked very, very good. And the work with Brad Faxon seems to be paying off. And then the third one, as Peter said, ultimately it feels like an issue of psychology. So you take Port Rush, you take Patrick Reed 2018, you take JP Fitzgerald turning to him as he messed up another British Open early doors and said, you're Rory effing McElroy, what are you doing? Uh, there was a long trend. You take even last year at uh, Memphis, WGC, when Kepka comes out and talks a big game over McElroy and, you know, wipes the floor with him. And then Rory, you figure, just gets angry about the situation and comes out four weeks later at the Tour Championship and, you know, is a, just a different beast pointy elbows is the phrase McGinley would use and he beats Kepka, and it's a real statement of what you know Gary Murphy used the phrase that the other night off the ball someone needs to whip him on the arse and say come on man like aggressive let's go here and so only he knows what's going on from a psychological perspective on the first at Portrush or this week or 2018 in the final round uh, with Reed. but he really does need to acknowledge that there is some kind of a problem there. Like in 2014, Harrington said with you, Nathan, and Jer the other day, that he was working with Barbara Teller in 14 when he won the Open. And he, you know, he won two majors that year. Has that stopped totally? You know, because, you know, he's reading all these self-help books and thinking about all these things. You know, what what is he actively doing? Because, like, Harrington said he's kind of deflecting when he talks about how he has this perspective and he's, you know, father now and golf doesn't define him and all that stuff. And, and I accept that, you know, but at the same time, he has to acknowledge that he's not so free of caring about golf that he's able to freewheel in majors. The pressure is coming on and he's struggling with that pressure. So he needs to uh, sit with that, like really sit with that and, and ask himself, why is that? Is it fear of failure? Is it a lack of trust in his in the technical side of his game, but he needs to, re and, and he needs to um, develop a method of coping when he feels like shit, you know, when, when he's uh, in a bad place, like the 13th in that first round, second day, when he hooks it into the trees. Cause on 13, he had, you know, he's won over for the tournament. He's through 12 holes. He knows he needs to do something. He's at the 13th and it's a hook into the trees and it's into the trees in 14 as well. And it's into the water in 16. Um, and I, like that is just psychological. I know he goes then in the in, in the um, he's got a few minutes on the range before his second round starts, and he hits like a couple of nine irons and a hybrid. He says he finds something and he's a bit freer. But I mean, it, like that's just so frustrating at this stage in his career when he's such a brilliant player and he should have that stuff kind of figured out, you know, a day beforehand. So I don't know. The only common trend here of late is psychological, mm. and only he fully knows what's 
going on there. He needs to really revisit Portrush. He needs to really revisit this week. He needs to really revisit 2018. And he needs to revisit the times where he did it well. You know, he needs to go back to 2014. He needs to go back to when he was angry at Kepka, despite what you might say, I feel like he was angry at Kepka. What mood was I in then? And I feel it was aggressive as opposed to defensive and, and you know, tight. Because otherwise it's just going to repeat. And this notion that it's the caddy, like, how can you put the first import rush on a caddy? How can you, what, what is a caddy meant to say to him on 13 to stop him hooking the ball into the trees? Like, really? Don't go left? I mean, what are, you, what are you meant to say? Come on, we need to go here. Yeah, I mean, maybe. I mean, if, if, if they feel it's worth a try, it's worth a try. But I like, only he really knows, really knows what's going on in his head, in his heart, in his soul at those moments. And something's happening. And he can tell himself, I have perspective. I'm not defined by it. That's fine. That's a coping mechanism after you fail. That's a coping mechanism when you're in the press hut after Portrush and you've blown up, then yeah, you've got your family. Yeah, this doesn't diminish you as a person. That is absolutely true. But you telling yourself that is not working for you on the course. Otherwise, you'd be relaxed enough to say, no, it doesn't bother me. You know, I, I did this not to find me, you know, that flowing swing. That's not working for him on the course. He is tightening up. So he needs to sit with that. He needs to accept, I'm going to tighten up. There's no way around it now. So what, what are my go-to things, including a go-to shot, you know, we heard there from Claude Harmon. Justin Johnson didn't bring that driver because he doesn't have the little, uh, you know, that sneaky fade just to fight fairway finder. So all of those things are swirling around for me. I still think he'll figure it out because he's too good not to. The disappointment is these are such great chances in the peak of his career. And what, he's got maybe 10 really good years left to win a, a green jacket. Um, so I don't know, it, it feels psychological more than anything. Oh, yeah. But I mean, you know, that's golf. You know, 95% of all the problems most golfers have are psychological. But, um, I mean, I mean, we've said it before. The first to put rush isn't the problem. It's the double bogey on 17 that was the problem. It's I, like, think the first, I think the first to put rush is a problem. I, think I don't. The first, uh, Tiger Woods, Tiger Woods, uh, Hank Haney said it. Tiger Woods was always terrified on the first tee. Always. Like, it happens. It happens to the greatest player of all time. It's the inability to move on from it, to just park it and just take the double on the first and just move on. Because had he not doubled the 17th, he would have made the cut because he showed up on the Friday and played brilliantly. But I mean, making the cut's a non-issue for Rory. He's out of the tournament. Well, clearly. Well, but okay. Tiger Woods at Augusta, he's played, he was first as a professional 97. So that's 23 tournaments at Augusta. Yeah. Tiger Woods, a stated aim for a guy who's won it five times is never ever, he doesn't want to go low mm. necessarily. I mean, I'm not saying he's trying not to go low. It's just always be there or thereabouts. Shoot a 71, just, yeah. just but not I, put yourself into trouble. No, totally. But like the first is not the, I mean, it's not like Rory's only issue here is that he's messing up the first hole of every tournament. Like it's, it's the, it's the, it's Patrick Reed in 2018 on sure. the Sunday as well. Mm. You know, it's, this is not, this is not oh, a but, first hole problem. Like the 13th, the 13th at Augusta was not his first hole. Okay. You know, so, it's, it's, a, it's a dealing with the, I, when I say the first to put rush, what, what that translates into is, I feel like hell right now. I really am tight. I'm really, really tight. But he's spoken it's about that, Joe. So, like, the first import rush is always going to be a huge issue because it's a quadruple bogey on the first hole. It does rule him out of the tournament. As you say, he can make the cut. He's never going to win the tournament after taking an eight on the first hole at Port Rush. It's simply yeah. not going to happen. But all the interviews he's given since is that he had thought a lot about the week. He had prepared himself, he thought, mentally, and he walked out 
and this roar that greeted him, suddenly he realized that this meant far more to him and to an awful lot of people than maybe he'd ever realized previously. Mm. Is that where the caddy, having worked with Rory, knowing Rory, looks at Rory in the eyes and goes, uh-oh, something's not right here. Suddenly the weight of the world is on his shoulders. I need to say the right thing at the right time to just take him out of that mindset that actually, Rory, it's the first hole of the tournament. We're going to walk down that fairway. There'll be a big crowd with us. It'll just be like another tournament in 20 minutes' time. Let's just get through this first hole and says the right thing. Now, maybe Harry Diamond did say that. Maybe he did. Maybe mm. he did say something. It didn't work if he did. Mm. But I, I, I do feel it's a bit harsh to, in any way, try and put what happened on the first on Harry Diamond. But maybe a Steve Williams, maybe a Joe Cava actually has seen Tiger Woods in that scenario where he's gone back in... 98 as reigning Masters champion for the first time and there's this incredible roar and suddenly Tiger has similar feelings and you know the right words are said at the right time even though neither of them were there at that time but yeah <laughs> but the one of the interesting I mean look I have a lot of time for everything Gary says because you know he's obviously someone who thinks deeply about the game and has played the game at the highest level but like so Harry Diamond, the appointment of Harry Diamond is very much in keeping with a trend so you have you know, Austin is obviously on DJ's bag. You've got Lee Westwood's fiance on his. Tommy Fleetwood's caddy is his best friend, Ian Finnis. You've got Phil Mickelson as his brother on the bag. So there is a trend of creating like that little bubble around you that's made of trusted people that you get on really well with and you imagine are you're relaxed around. So it'll, it creates that atmosphere where you can play your most relaxed golf. Um. And so Harry Diamond, as a good friend of Rory's, is very much in keeping with that with that theory. But like, I don't blame Harry Diamond for anything. I don't blame him for the first at Port Rush or even the double bogey at Port Rush. But maybe what exactly to pick up on what Nathan said is is that like he needs someone who can recognize when Rory is out of focus because I think that's part of his problem. Or he seem he just seems to slip in focus. And he makes mistakes, you know, you, Joe, you mentioned a whole bunch of them, but like, where, is there a caddy like a Bones Mackay or, you know, Tiger's got Joe Lacau, who, who actually can kind of see that coming or feel that and just whatever it is that maybe, and also more importantly, and here's the thing, is going to help him really, really master greens because like, like I know Rory has improved his putting a lot over the last 18 months or so, but like, other than just like your mate carrying the bag, like are they bringing that extra edge, that marginal gain that makes all the difference, that stops you, you know, shooting a 75 on day one and, and even if you're not feeling yourself can get you, you know, can make you shoot a 71. Like is, because a professional caddy, like there is, a professional caddy is a skilled job. Like there is no doubt. And having your mates carry your bag, there has to be some kind of, causation correlation effect <laughs> you know what i mean and so it's not harry diamond's fault but does rory mcelroy need someone that has more experience or or who has the ability to recognize when things aren't exactly as they should be for a player who we all know is instinctive plays natural golf and feels his way into playing his best self can't just mechanically kind of find it so uh, you know, I, I don't know that you can entirely rule out the idea that that a that a replacement on the bag mightn't be, as I said, a marginal gain improvement that can make the difference. It's also, 
sort of taking attention completely away from McElroy himself by focusing yeah. on the caddy. Yeah, I'm, like, I'm amazed the focus on the caddy the last couple of days. That so I don't know. Maybe I don't know my golf history enough. Did a caddy cost Jack Nicholas cost Gary Player major no. championships at any stage? So like Harry Diamond cannot be costing McElroy a major championship. No, of course he isn't. There's simply no chance. Like, is Harry Diamond the reason that he's 60th in strokes gained approach, but his driving is perfect, his putting has improved massively, yet actually when they're standing in the middle of the fairway, Harry, that's where you're letting him down. I, 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 just, I just can't see that. Mm. And all right, there are certain situations where maybe a more experienced, a outside voice that's not part of that inner circle might be needed. But like Rory... Maybe he needs a change. Maybe there's several changes he'll make to his backroom team. But it starts with himself. And I'm sure he realizes that. I'm mm. sure that is one of the reasons why he is protecting Harry Diamond, that this starts with McElroy figuring a lot of things out. And yeah, first round nerves, like remember, was it three, four years ago, there were Friday issues with Rory where he'd start really well and then he'd fade away on a yeah. Friday. Like there's always, there is always something. And I, I, I don't know how much you can even analyze what he did over the next three days. We know he can play Augusta. We know, is it coming up in a decade next year since <laughs> since the blowout at the 10th at Augusta? It probably yeah. is. Yeah, it so is. we know, we've known for a long time he can get around the course and he'll always give himself a chance. But like, because there's so much focus on him, probably his really good play over the weekend is put to a level it shouldn't be as well. Like Justin Thomas finished ahead of Rory McIlroy. Tell me what Justin Thomas did over the four days. I'd say Justin Thomas has gone, I didn't play particularly well at all over the four days. I made some really silly mistakes, which every time you saw him on, he seemed to be making some sort of a mistake. Yet still, he put himself right in there as well. So mm. Rory McIlroy isn't the only one who can't play his best and still put himself in with something of a shout. Justin Thomas can do that. John Ram, Like John Ram on the, that really exciting first three or four hours last Thursday, it was all over the place. We know mm. what happened on the 8th on the Saturday. It's still John Ram is right there where Rory is. So they all have these spots where they fall out of kilter but rory's the only one that we sort of go oh if you just fix that as if it's an easy thing like, it's, yeah. it's not everyone has rounds everyone has moments but for rory we kind of go well if that didn't happen if that didn't happen mm. look what he would have done i think if he was in a really dark place as well if things were really bad he wouldn't have rebounded the way he did you know no. we can we can be dismissive of you know not giving him any credit for the fact that he rallied you know, mm. and we can just say, oh, well, whatever, it's a backdoor top five. I mean, finished fifth at the Masters. It's still unbelievable, you know, uh, and very, very impressive. And lots of really good players didn't. So if things were really bad, he would have gone into a dark place after that 75 and he would have missed the cut and he would have gone home. And then we'd all be very worried. The fact is, he can still take a lot from this week. And, well, I mean, I, you're, still, you're still giving him a massive chance in April. Massive chance. He drove the ball so well. I mean, it was... After the first round, again, that's why that's why the 13th just blows your mind because he drove the ball just mm. beautifully then from then on. It was just an exhibition. That's what makes 13 and 14 kind of, 14 to a lesser extent, obviously, uh, almost inexplicable and, and points to a, a psychology. Um, like lots of aspects of his game looked in good shape. It was the best he's played in a long time. You know, it's the best he's played post-lockdown. Mm. So he puts away the clubs now. He re-emerges. Um, I just... I just would love to see him um, having some uncomfortable sessions, really sitting down, digging down into what's what's going through his head in those moments. Relive them, uh, analyze them. What are the go-to shots that I can, you know, hit ninety-five percent of the time under those circumstances? You know, Tiger's Tiger for all the flashiness that we all know. You know, we all know he's such a conservative golfer. 
Yeah. That's what it takes to win majors sometimes. And, oh. you know, I, I think of, uh, I think Ronan O'Gara made this point to me a while back and it, it stuck with me when I was sexting and missed a kick or something. But he was saying, he was talking about his own career. And, he, and this applies to Rory because Rory is of such a stature and such talent that pressure only really comes on a handful of times across the season. You know, like really, you really only feel it a handful of times and it's at the most important times. And you can choose to ignore them and you can get by and you'll, you'll have a great career. But you just the evidence would suggest they're not being addressed. And, and look, the explanation this time around is that uh, he wasn't releasing the club properly. And, you know, Butch talked about him releasing the head and getting too narrow in the backswing. And he went to the range and he trusted it a bit more. And, and this is always the case with McElroy. In each isolated incident, that's a, you're like, oh, fair enough. That makes sense. It's just, it's, it's often a different thing each time. You know, I treated this major as a major and I should have treated it like any normal event. And then another time it's, well, I treated it like a normal event and I, I need to treat it like a major. And, you know, there was one explanation when he was talking to Paul Kimmage and he was talking about he'd watched the TV coverage of around that morning and guys were making mistakes. And so he thought, God, I need to give this course way more respect. And that kind of resulted in him messing up the round. And you're thinking, that's a mistake a 20-year-old makes, not, you know, you in your mid-20s when you should just play what you see in front of you. You know, each, oh. each explanation on its own makes total sense. But he still lasts in stroke-gained approach, mm. you know? And the point I w- I'm trying to make is, is that not every golfer? Are all of these top 10 in the world golfers not going through these same periods in their career, periods in rounds, same questions about getting their tactics wrong, their course management wrong? But firstly, we're more fascinated with Rory than anybody else. Also, Rory yeah. explains it better than anybody else. So yeah. tell me, what happened, what happened John Ram on Saturday? What happened John yeah, Ram? Yeah, it's a fair point. It's a fair point. I have no I, idea. I, I totally take I, that I didn't point. see John yeah. Ram talking about it. Yeah. Again, what happened to Justin Thomas, top three player in the world, that actually Rory sort of feeds into it, which is why we end up talking about him so much and going this massive deep dive into the psychological side. Because actually, mm. you're able to go back through the last 10 years of his career go through mm. every tournament and he's told you exactly what the mm. problem was mm. whereas you know, Dustin Johnson maybe he's not thinking about them but as had, as Claude said it's what three four months ago since he went 80-80 mm. can you imagine how we would have done a three hour special if McElroy <laughs> ever goes and shoots 80-80 is there also a sense that and I texted this to you both over the weekend when we were going back and forth is like and it's an obvious point and you can dismiss it as you want but like you know, to win the Grand Slam, it's like there's a reason only five players have ever done it. And, you know, it's not, it's not just another major because, like, I can see McElroy winning a couple more PGAs or an Open or whatever. I, I just struggle to really believe that the way it's gone, that he's a lock to win another a Masters. Like, I, and to complete the Grand Slam, I, I think that's just, and also, I mean, there's, couple of things bear against him. The the previous five only needed no more than three goes to complete the Grand Slam. So that's it. Ty, or Rory's been trying for six years. Mm. Um, and the more it goes on, the more that pressure builds. And I don't know that it's something that you can just master your psychological um, identity and just get over, no pun intended. Uh, so that it just becomes that thing where it's like, well, guess what? Plenty of unbelievable golfers. Arnold Palmer never won the Grand Slam. So, you know, like it's, it, it, are we putting, I don't know, are we kind of correlating Rory's undoubted talent with also that somehow if he fails in this accomplishment that he is 
less than. I don't know if that's quite the case. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the use of the word failure is a big problem around Rory of if he doesn't win another major, is his career a failure? No. Absolutely. No matter what he does. Clearly not. Clearly not. But the word failure is always going to be used when you're trying to chase down a career grand slam. I think it's that if he doesn't win another major, he probably hasn't reached the heights that he expected and we expected. Mm. Or that again, his as, early as career says, exactly, suggested. suggested. Yeah. Yeah. And as Joe says, there's another, <laughs> it is that great thing about making predictions about long-term and golf. Like he has 10, he has 40 more majors, 50 more majors yeah. where he should be some sort of a contender, another 10 masters. But do you think, Nathan, that given that the unfairness of golf prognostication and golf fandom, where we just, you know, we have all kinds of demands we make on our on our heroes for a variety of reasons. Let's say Rory wins two more PGAs and another Open to end up with seven, but doesn't win the Masters. Is that, I mean, I don't mean in binary terms, failure, success, but is this like, will there always be like a kind of, well, you know, he didn't win the Masters. Uh, I'm sure there will be. I, I think Rory is trying to achieve three things between now and the end of his career. One is the career Grand Slam. One is to have won the most majors of any European. And the other is to be the best player of his generation. So of that post-Tiger yeah, generation. Point. So I think if he ends up completing one, two or three of those, they're all an incredible achievement. And he should do at least one of those. But again, winning... So one thing I would have agree, disagreed with with Gary listening to last night of Rory will get to 8-9. Like, where do these four or five majors come from? Yeah, He's been the best true. player in the world for the last decade and he has four of them. Like, mm. the, the future has arrived in golf. We're seeing that with John Ram, with Bryson DeChambeau. Like, look at Matthew Wolf coming through, players like this. I, yeah, I would love to see him go on that sort of run that he went on between sort of 2011, 2014. But... To win four or five more majors seems a bit away from McElroy right now. Well, he has the exact same number of majors as Brooks Kepka. So, mm. yeah. As an aside, his press conference in the Masters was brilliant as well, pre tournament, because I was watching a few and he came in. God, he's just so thoughtful and interesting mm. and likable. You know, I thought it was uh, Tyrrell Hatton had been in before him and it was uh, tough enough going, I must say. <laughs> and uh, uh, Rory came in and was just class, you know. and Gary even made the point the other night that he's exactly the same fella that he met when he came on tour first, just maybe a couple of hundred billion in the difference in the bank account. Oh, geez, and the rest. And that's uh, that's to his credit. I look, I, 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 you're kind of disappointed watching it, and you're at a loss with the first round, and I'm sure he is too. I, I'd still be massively confident watching the way he played those three days that he's going to catch fire over the next five, six, seven years. One of these masters win the Grand Slam. I mean, exhibition and driving. I do think the putting has improved. There's no reason he can't get back to the approach play we saw pre-lockdown. And then, yeah, just look, the psychology has to be right. That is, yeah. but we don't know what's going on. And, and maybe we're trying to compare different things, you know, Reed in 18 to when he played Kepke in August last year to Port Rush. I mean, they could all be very different things. Ultimately, you know, we're on the outside, so we don't quite know. Yeah, I'd still true. be confident though. I'd be, I'd be amazed if we're, if we're in a decade saying, geez, never got it done. Like, I, I would really be amazed. Do you think Rory's, uh, Rory's well, actually, it wasn't even so much a press conference, but um, his, his ability to answer questions was uh, markedly better than Cara Banks' interview with Tiger Woods. Did you see that Oof. one? 
Holy there was no mention of the 10. It was just like, so, Tiger, how does this help you set up for next April? It doesn't. And tell me about how magic the green jacket ceremony is. Oh, it's really magic. <laughs> it was like, and the thing is, is that like, and I, and I got a bit of back, um, backbite on Twitter for it because I, I was just like, that's just awful stuff by Cara Banks, who, in fairness, isn't a golf journalist as much as a, just a presenter. At the same time, it's like like he didn't have a family bereavement. He had, like Justin Ray put it out, I think he'd played 29,000 holes of golf before he had his first 10 on a par three. And, it's, and, and then bounced back with five birdies and six holes to have the best finish of 23 attempts at Augusta. His best finishing holes. And it's such an easy question to ask him. Is, is like, how did you rally from like, you know, this, and 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 it's not as if he played the twelfth really really badly, like no, you know he was a little unlucky on the first. His second just kind of rolled back into the water, and then he had a shitty lie in the in the bunker. But and he missed like, the putt for nine. Yeah, missed the putt for nine. But but it's such an easy question. Is is that like where do you find that mental strength to rally back from that and to finish the way you did? Yeah, like. It was noticeable, especially when he was talking about it openly and laughing about it on American TV. Then yeah. we're not going to get we're, we're, we're not going to get to everyone, I think. So I, I'd say Bryson, we're going to have to hold oh. for next week. We'll talk to we'll talk Bryson another time because we'll be here all day. Um, on Woods, like Cheesy started so well and was swinging really well and looked yeah. good. And then I guess the Saturday schedule had his back looking very bad by Saturday evening. What struck me though across Friday was he was doing that brilliant thing that was very 2019 ish in that he was just playing. A beautiful Augusta strategy, taking advantage of the par fives, bit of magic on 16, very nice, consummate, professional woods round. It's just when he needed to make some birdies in the second round, they never came. You know, he, 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 he part one of the two-point plan he ticked, which was no big numbers until, obviously, uh, the 10. The 10, but, yeah. But part two, which was to somewhere in the midst of it, going a little spree to keep pace with Johnson. Because Augusta was there for the taking. This wasn't a usual Augusta. He never went low anywhere. He, he never had the birdies. No, and also as well as the putts he missed, he missed by a wider margin than you're used to seeing Woods at his best. Like, you're absolutely right. He, he endeavoured not to make mistakes. But also as well is, is that with a lot of Woods' misses, like he, he gets close to the hole, like he threatens all the time. And he just, there's a lot of putts he didn't. Like there were lag putts, you know, he was just getting down, a little tap in. But it felt like he didn't, actually until until the 10 and then on that crazy birdie run that he went on, it's just like, yeah, he just, he just played very tepidly. Safe, smart, but mm. tepid ultimately. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I was thinking when we were talking about Rory, he could do worse than sit and watch Tiger's first round Absolutely. at the Masters because it was just, oh, it was perfection. You just thought, here's a guy completely in control of his body, completely in control of the golf ball and the course as well and knows what he wants to do. Mm. And yeah, I think, unfortunately, the way the schedule went, man, he just wasn't, the body wasn't able to handle it. But we, hopefully we'll get a chance to talk to Shane Lowry over the next few weeks. Like, what an experience to play with him for three oh, rounds. Oh, and incredible. Having, and to watch that response from the 10. Yeah. Like to respond from the 10 to suddenly be in the post round interviews with the widest smile I've ever seen Tiger have. I know. <laughs> he yeah. was delirious. <laughs> yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it was it was all a bit bizarre with the thing. I've been up since three o'clock in the morning. It feels like it's <laughs> feels like it's about two AM right now. Where am I? What is going on? Uh, it see, was, it's, yeah. the, it's the greatest seventy six we've ever seen. It was amazing. Major it was incredible. 
Did you see though the um, you mentioned the low scoring and and obviously it played very very soft, but it's the second year in a row that it yielded the lowest scoring average in Masters history. Um, last year, so the scoring average was seventy one point seven five. This year, it was seven one point eight seven. And you have to go back to 1991 to see a lower or a scoring average comparable to that, which is uh, 71.91. Nine players finished in double digits under par. Last year, 11 did. So Sorry, maybe it's ridiculous of me to say we, we can't touch on Bryson. We just finish on Bryson. Is that the best way to do this? We, well, finish just, on Bryson. Yeah, we, can, yeah. we can finish on Bryson. I just wanted to mention, though, that the ratings for the Masters were diabolical on American TV. Really low. Lowest ever. Right. Now, it could be to do, obviously, it's November. It's the, And also that afternoon finish because they couldn't, they couldn't, yeah. they were totally against American football. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Bryson, like he, he tried, hubris, hubris beat Bryson. I've got, I've got a, I think I have a different take on this to a lot of people. Uh, where was Bryson taken on the course? Mm. Sorry, where was this? Why well, was like the only time and when he was with his caddy on 13 and they went over the trees and they were talking to each other saying, did you hear anything? Did it make it? I thought this was going to be Bryson all week taking these crazy lines. When on the eighth, he, that was the only one where he he absolutely pummeled the eighth, didn't he? On all four days. Did he? Mm. Maybe he did, but like... Well, did, he led the fun- field in, in driving, 323.9. But like, so, uh, well, I, I just, I, I stats can be a messy, especially at Augusta because they don't use strokes gained and everything. But I just watched, I basically saw every shot of this tournament. I made a point either on delay or, or mm. at the time of watching it. So the amount of times that he would hit a drive and John Ram was five yards behind him was nonstop. Yeah. And uh, the uh, the ninth on the first round was a wow moment. They even on TV said that's the first wow moment of the day. So like these crazy diagram lines where he was doing all sorts, I just... I was kind of disappointed. I, I it was I, I had always been skeptical of them, and so it proved it, he didn't he didn't take on the course in the way that we no. thought he would. And I don't know, it was, it was a weird performance. Obviously, his health seems to be an issue. He's dizzy. Yes, He's blading blading the ball across green. So I suspect actually he is not wasn't well, and yes. hopefully he gets that sorted out. Um, and obviously, look the way he lost the ball was almost comical and. Ugh. And, and you Very know, unfortunate. But Andrew Coulthard was saying a few times, "What you know, he needs to change his strategy here, um, because he was hitting the ball obviously into trees a bit and stuff." But like that really didn't have much to do with his strategy. He was just just couldn't hit the ball. Like he hooked it on eleven. What an amazing moment that was! That was, <laughs> that was unbelievable. <laughs> but like you couldn't say, "Oh, driver on eleven was a strat- strategical error." It's just you have to hit driver on eleven. Yeah, no, that's a fair point. I mean. To me, it was what I mean by hubris is is what are you shiting on on the Tuesday saying that to you it's it's a par sixty seven? Oh, yeah, yeah. It was yeah, just yeah. like what are you talking about? You absolute moron! It's like well, treat the course. Yeah. No, it's just idiotic. I'm sorry. That's it was so you, you've just made a rod for your own back. Like if you don't actually shoot sixty seven or better all four days, like you're just become like it's like. Everything you said, Joe, is 100% correct. It's not as if he decided, oh, I'm going to bomb at 380. I don't care about anything. Um, and he was clearly feeling unwell. He uh, And just it didn't happen for him this week. But he made a rod for his own back. And hubris caught up a with big him. Time. Just... Nathan, your thoughts on big Bryson? Yeah, I thought the same. This. I just didn't think he played well. I think maybe there was... Um... 
a bit of an attitude problem with the way he tried to take on certain shots around the course that he was going for this sort of Hail Mary every single time, wasn't taking his punishment, didn't plot his way around the place and was punished for that. Maybe that is golf getting its revenge. Maybe it is the power of Augusta National. But Sam, I was I was expecting to see something radically different than I'd ever seen before. See new parts of mm. the course, new approach yeah. shots, and that wasn't there. As you say, like John Ram was right there alongside him every step of the way by and large. So mm. Yeah, it was disappointing. It was it was thrilling last Thursday. Those <laughs> first <laughs> few old, because you remember remember the first hole he played, where he gives himself what a three footer, four footer for birdie. Oh yeah, yeah. I thought, like, he's, I thought he's, he's going to be forty five under by the end of this, this tournament. It's yeah. going to be absolutely <laughs> insane. He started par par, didn't he? And it could have easily have been like three seven. One hundred percent correct. Yes, exactly. And it just sort of continued like that. And so I think everybody's quite happy to see him maybe taken down a peg or two. But I just thought some of the shots from. Was it the shot on 13 where he went over the back of the where he went over the back of the green on the first day? Yeah. Yeah. That like that shot wasn't on. And Did also, you not think it was on? I thought I thought it was okay. I mean it was the one from the I just thought you were four yeah. holes into the round of your first round. Yeah. You don't need to go for this. Just no, you don't. You also went for it again. Did you see it? Mm. Yeah. It's I mean, look, ultimately it comes down to this. Way more talented golfers than Bryson DeChambeau are af- not afraid of Augusta, but are wary of what Augusta can do to you. That, yeah. you know, and the idea of, of not being, a, I mean, not being verbally conscious of this, speaking as though like, oh, you know, that the way you play the game now, that this course doesn't hold as big a challenge but for you as it see, did pre, it's just. I, no, look, it, it, it was a dumb thing to say. Okay, for sure. But I think in fairness to him, for all the players who are anyway long, it is a par 68. And his point was, you know, the, par, the four par fives are all uh, birdie holes. If you're playing anyway well, it's a par 68 golf course. And then I think his logic was, well, I'm going to try and drive the green on three. Therefore, mm. in, my, in my head, it's a, it's a par 67. So I don't, I don't think it was an outrageous thing to think. It was, as you said, just not a smart just thing to say. Don't say it. To say. It's when there's already like so much heat on you. Colin Marikawa... We mentioned it last week. At his press conference, Colin Marikawa showed unbelievable confidence for a first-timer and just about made the cut, finished around level. Nowhere. Was nowhere to be seen. Mm. And that's fine. Confidence, look, Bryson DeChambeau has every right to be confident. He's US Open champion. He is, uh, like, he's obviously one of the star performers of this season. He he is doing things that will guarantee him for the foreseeable future, at least that he will be there thereabouts in tournaments where he, you know, he has put a mind to contend. My point is this, is that it's Nathan mentioned it. There's an attitude issue. He looked as though sometimes, and okay, I'm going to hold my hands up and say, this is my own bias, perhaps. In fact, not even perhaps it most likely is my own bias. I look at Bryson's face when he misses a pod or a chip doesn't go the way he I think there was a chip on Sunday that he missed, or no, on the on the Friday rather. Did you see? It's the one I can't remember. Was it on seventeen where he chipped onto the green and it ended up miles away? And he looks at it with disgust, as if the course owes him something. You know, unless unless though he really, I mean, if you're dizzy, how can you hit a chip? Yeah, yeah. And and so I'll I'll one hundred percent give absolutely. So you know, at, at the risk of perhaps being harsh and unfair. I just felt that like we, he can do with just, I don't know, maybe just 
maybe just being careful about what he says and oh, just for sure you know? for sure we'll talk more uh, we'll talk more masters i think next week it's still going to be the big uh, show in town in many ways we got to wrap this up nathan's got to run and do a show david burke finishes by saying and it's maybe the point to finish on only one person can win the tournament lads we will always focus on rory but as nathan just said look at ram look at justin thomas do you notice there i said thomas, True. Uh, thomas. they they messed up too rory will win the grand slam uh, for sure well, Look, there is no doubt, hands up, we are focusing too much on Rory because... Uh, We're Irish. For obvious reasons, and we, we want him to do well. But um, that was all with thanks to our friends at Now TV. You can stream sport on your terms with Now TV, the football, obviously, and, uh, well, there's more golf still on. So Fionn Davenport, Nathan Murphy, we'll probably talk more Masters. <laughs> <laughs> for the next three months. <laughs> we'll get, do you know what? Next week, we'll get stuck into what happened to Rory McIlroy. Uh, join yeah, us next yeah. Thursday. I've had further thoughts on this. Yeah. <laughs> All righty, we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. OTB Sports Golf Weekly with Now TV. Stream the Premier League Serie A and EFL Championships live on Now TV. Your sport on your terms.